Coming up this month, talk about rodeo season full bloom, and I did some Snapchatting masterclass where we talk about just ISO, and then we move on to Yuen better than last month. Probably the more the best cross country you probably hear in all big men's fashion history. Coming up, episode forty-seven is. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. And ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building. Shalom, this is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fast Shutter, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten, and I know you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way. Since this is a 100% user-funded audio-visual entertainment, please click on the PayPal donations link on our website, which is biglensfastshutter.com. And show us how much you love us, because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. And news, Matt Cohen. News here, at news. Both Ria and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month, and we talk about ourselves because we're egomaniacs. And Matt Cohen might die next month, but who cares? Doesn't really matter. We all might. Yeah. Well, you know, I might. I might. So we're going to be talking about. April of 2015, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Matt Cohen, what was your April like in a good way? It was pretty good all the way around uh, rodeo season now. So I was on the road for almost the whole month. Came home completely exhausted from it, but it was good. Lots of traveling, lots of shooting. Had a chance to try out some things that I was thinking about over the off season and probably end up doing a blog post about that. I did have a really interesting situation towards the end of it. I guess I had maybe two days left of shooting before I could come home and sleep for a little bit. And I found myself on autopilot. And so I wanted to kind of bring that up a little bit because we talk about trying different things and not doing the same things. And I think when you get distracted or when you get really tired or if you're shooting under adverse conditions or something like that, you kind of fall back on the kind of the most plain, basic kind of stuff that you're doing. I was just too tired. You know, I've just been shooting two sessions a day plus editing in between the sessions and after the sessions. And I was very worn out and just could not, couldn't keep pulling the rabbit out of the hat. And I noticed it after one of the sessions I came back and I was like, these pictures, I can't at all tell the difference between the ones that I made in the last session, the ones that I made this session. So I just stopped editing because I wasn't happy with the pictures at all. And there wasn't any hurry to get them out, made some plans and completely changed things up for the last day that I was out and ended up making pictures that I was more happy with than any of the other ones that I had made on the whole trip up to that point. So I think it's a good lesson. You know, even people who are always strong to make different pictures can fall back into the familiar. And the key is to, as soon as you can, recognize that that's what you're doing. I should have really been able to recognize it in the camera, but it took me until I saw it on my computer. So the thing is to recognize it as early as you can and then get back to experimenting and trying different things and trying to make great pictures instead of just going on autopilot. So that was my month. Yeah, I had something quite similar. 
I just went on the uh, a shoot for Nike Academy. This is like this thing that Nike does to um, basically, I guess, like kind of a goodwill thing that Nike does. That they have an academy for um, football players who really weren't picked up um, when they were, I don't know, when they're playing football because. You know, with all sports, you get picked up. You know, at a very early age from uh, universities or or um, professional teams, and they take you in because they they see potential in you. And some people don't really show potential until later on. Those kids, the scouts, are not really interested in. So Nike set up this academy that, well, if you enter into this academy, um, you have place to showcase your talent because you'll be playing against different lots of different teams, international teams and whatnot. So they have a tryout for um, this particular season. So, and I was there to shoot the event. I wasn't really told that I was going to be um, mainly Snapchatting the whole thing. If you are over the age of thirty, you probably don't even know what Snapchat is. And obviously, I'm closer to forty. I'm the wrong side of thirty, really. And then Matt Cohen is about fifty-eight right now, so he has no idea what Snapchat is. <laughs> so, for those of you who are listening right now, um, I think you should go look it up on. Uh, on the internet because I still don't know what the hell the Snapchat really I really is have no I, I definitely do not understand Snapchat I know what it is and <laughs> yeah. I know generally how it works but I have no idea what the point is yeah so we don't I don't really see the point but the main thing is that everything disappears in 24 hours like it's gone forever like you can't yeah. even save it even if you try to take a screen grab of it it actually tells you that it someone actually has taken a screen grab of your chat of your, of your snap so it's not your chat it's your snap but I've uh, told people who are Japanese that the best way to describe this is that in Japan we have this thing called uh, Prikura, which is um, if you go to like these arcade places with all the games that you can play, not, not the, you know, the video, very big video games you can play um, in malls and things like that, you'll have a, um, a photo booth that you can go in there and take pictures. And on top of like you do, when they actually do shoot the pictures, it will give you an option to put stamps, um, or you can actually write things on top of it all on the screen and when it prints out it actually gives you all those stamps and you know all those the things you've actually written on it and that you can also do in snapchat as well as matt said which i completely agree i have no idea why people use this because a it makes no sense to me and b it's stupid and what is really interesting is that when adults think like oh look the kids are using this why don't we use this to promote our product it never is a good thing. And it's becoming obvious these days that they're trying to put a square peg into, into a, a, a circular hole. And this is exactly the case that corporation trying to, to you know promote their product or with a product with a application that is not used for that. I was saying that Snapchat actually has like these like news outlets now um, that you can follow that it will give you snaps of news, which just doesn't make any sense either. But hey, that's what I did. So you were just taking mobile pictures and using yeah, Snapchat? like 80% of the time I was using iPhone wow. 6 instead of D4S. Yeah. And what the, the one more thing is that let's say that I'm actually taking a snap of Matt's cat playing with whatever object that, you know, that he likes for that moment. Like a five-second video. I do a five-second video, and then I show it to Matt. Say, look, you know, Paolo's playing with whatever it is he's playing with. You like that? He said... And Matt will go, mm, maybe, I mean, I like it, but I don't know, maybe I think we can do something a bit better from a different angle. So I take another one. The moment I take another one, the one I just shot is gone forever. Like it's gone. You can't, there's not, it's not saved anywhere on your phone. That means it's once you have to decide if you can use it or not. And second, if you don't use it, it's gone. 
ever, ever, ever. So you can imagine a thing that is used just for, you know, be- between people just like, you know, chatting in a really silly way is used to shoot a basically a promotional video. It's just crazy. I really complained about the first day because I was there for three days and um, I realized that what am I doing? I, mean, I shouldn't be complaining. I really should be embracing this and saying, you know what? This is a new format. I've never tried this before. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to try to enjoy it as much as possible. Try to learn new something, something that I could maybe possibly use in the future to do, to promote my, my photographs. So after three days of that, I've came to the conclusion that this is the worthless piece of application I'm never going to use again. But the most important thing is that you really, really have to be open to anything because I think it's very easy, like Matt said, that it's very easy to just kind of, you know, get in, stuck in your way. And now when you think about the alternatives and like what you can actually do, I've learned it really the hard way this time that I really should be open about any other new technology that comes along because it might be very interesting for me. Like for instance, Instagram was something I never thought I would, I would use, but now I use it a lot more than I use Twitter, for instance, and I find it really interesting. Well, I think there's a huge difference between Instagram and Snapchat, though. The Snapchat's going away is completely the opposite of what I want. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, like, I think the mentality of trying to try something new should always be there. You know what I mean? You should always be quite interested in using new technology and interested in using, well, really new technology more than anything. Not really new methods, new techniques, but new technology is going to come along because we all know that most of our shots are going to be made with our mobile phone in the near future because this is how it is. It's how good the phones are. And it's like people are not really wanting high-quality pictures, which we'll probably talk about that in Masterclass to a certain degree. So that's really like my good and the bad for this month is that I think good is like something I, I learned about myself that I really need to kind of be open up to new technology when I'm shooting my sports photos. And bad is that it's I wanted to really snap that iPhone like 8 billion times this entire you know three days I was there. I, I really had enough because it's an iPhone. You cannot get close because it's a football match and you cannot just go in there and like start shooting right next to these people. It's compromises, compromises, compromises. And the end product, honestly, I really don't have my name attached to it. It's really that bad. Like I, I'm not really proud that what I've what I've made. But you know, quality is not the main thing. Even though they said they want to have a premium feel to the whole thing, I'm thinking like you're asking a, you know, iPhone application have a premium feel to like I don't understand what your thing is but premium shot with an iPhone that disappears yeah yeah that's not yeah doesn't make any sense we're not teenagers who want new football boots every you know every two months so it's that's what they're geared towards like it doesn't matter if it's Nike or Adidas or Puma or whatever all these you know they're not catering these things to adults like us but to kids who don't have money and have to ask ask their parents for it or they'll steal it somewhere that's it though that's really long news so um we'll move on to two old men talking about technology they don't understand good love snapchat In Masterclass, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us at biglensfastshutter.com. We have this service called Critical Beatdown, which Matt named years ago. Not years ago, like about a year ago. And what it is is that you give us 15 uh, photos of your choice, your, that'll be your portfolio, and we will critique it thoroughly for an hour on video for $100. A lot of people actually have used it. A lot of people found it very, very um, helpful. I think you might 
as well. So you can actually have that video published um, on bigmissfashion.com or you have the choice to keep it private because you don't want other people to see it. It's really the choice is, um, is up to you. If you're interested in that, please um, get in touch with us uh, via Flickr. You can, you know, Flickr email us or you can go to biglinsfashion.com and contact us through there. It's either or. Uh, those of you who have used uh, big, uh, biglinsfashion.com thoroughly and very frequently, you should consider us. Yes, this is a completely, completely, completely free uh, podcast as well as completely free YouTube. You know, the, where the service we actually have is called um, Training Ground where you submit your photos and we critique it on video for free. So everything you do or everything we do except for a critical beatdown is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely free. It doesn't cost you anything. Matt Cole and I put our energy and our time into, you know, making you a better sports photographer. And if you think anything that we've actually done has helped you to make a you know to make yourself a better sports photographer the money you saved from going into some online uh, university uh, learning about photography or you've basically had like a really good advice from us if you use them to make everything good please consider donating to us and that will be you can go to biglensfashioner.com and there's a paypal link where you can actually put your money in because sometimes we have to say it you know because you know this week, no, this month's masterclass, it, it came from Matt Cohen, but through someone. And which was what? Uh, I was shooting. I realized that I think for the first time since I've had any camera, really, but I was shooting at 12,800 ISO, which today, like if you're just getting into photography today, that's really not that big of a deal because a lot of cameras go up that high. But when I started shooting, it was with film and 400 was, that's the fast film that you could use like you could get faster film like they made i think color went up to 800 and you could get 1600 black and white that you could push to 3200 but it was ridiculous it was super grainy the only thing you could really use it for was black and white printed in a newspaper that's how grainy it was you know just because i've been shooting for long enough that i know that 12,800 is really insane. I just took a picture of the back of my camera and put it on Instagram. And, you know, everybody was like, you know, that's that everybody remembered the film days and shooting at 200 and, you know, having to deal with whatever it was. One of our longtime listener, reader, contributor, Claudio Franco, suggested that we tackle high ISO as a topic. So that's a good idea. So we're going to do that today. I still shoot D3Ss. I was not happy with the focus on video. So I haven't upgraded to D4, D4S. Uh, the cost versus increased resolution is not a good bargain. So I just haven't done it. Um, I'll probably have to start thinking about upgrading, but not right now. I don't generally shoot above 4,000. I just don't have a need to. But there are definitely times where shooting at high ISO is necessary. Uh, two weekends ago, that was when I had to do it. I was shooting uh, bull riding and it was dark and the stadium did not have good lights. And worse than not having good lights, the lights that they did have were pointed in a way that really did not help anything at all. The shoot gates were white. The light was bouncing from behind off of the shoot gates. So the background was really light, but there wasn't any light falling on the rider or the bull from the direction that I was shooting from. That's a problem. So, and that's kind of what we were talking about. Like, and we'll get into this. There are techniques for shooting at high ISO and there's software that you can use, things like that. But if the light isn't 
doing what you needed to do. You can have the highest ISO in the world. If your background is lighter than what you're shooting, it's going to be a big problem. And that's when you have to start thinking about either strobing it or not shooting it because you could shoot at, you know, 150,000 ISO. But if there's more light on the background than there is on the subject, you're going to have a dynamic range problem not an ISO problem. Shooting at high ISO means you really need to get the exposure right because the higher up you go, the less forgiving it is on exposure. If you miss the exposure, sometimes by a third of a stop, half a stop, two thirds of a stop, it's gonna look really bad. The color is gonna be way off. And even though these cameras do better at controlling the noise, the higher you go, the more you come off of the proper exposure, the more noise there's going to be. And it's going to be not a film grain kind of look. It's going to be that really nasty color blob kind of look that you don't want. So when you're shooting that high, you want to make sure that you're really getting the exposure right so that you can kind of control for the things that you can control, like how grainy it's going to look. The other thing is software. There are just sometimes when you know, again, if it's going to be in a newspaper, the noise isn't as important just because of the resolution. But if you're going to be printing out at eight by 10, or if you're going to be in a glossy magazine or something like that, you are going to have to do something with those pictures after. I don't really do a whole lot of post-processing at all, but I do have the Nick suite. So I have the plugins and Nick's Define software is really good, even on just the most basic automatic like just open up the picture let it run itself and then save it is really really good and you can do it to control for noise you can do it to control for the nasty color blotching that you get so i used it for some of the pictures where i was shooting at 12,800 i used it and those pictures are much more usable because of that but again the problem is that a lot of the pictures even though i got the exposure right and was able to control for the noise and all of that are basically unusable because there just wasn't any light falling on the part of the picture that I needed the light to be on. Bull riding is, I don't know, it's like a special case because you don't want to be anywhere near where the bulls are. So that means shooting close enough to get the light that was coming from behind. You know, you can shoot from the back of the shoots, but then you're really limited because people are going to be in your way. And if you're shooting like I was from across the arena and the light's not falling where it should, there's really nothing you can do. And it's a big enough arena that's strobing. It wasn't really an option. What's the end result? You know, not very happy with the pictures that I got. There's several that are good, but out of a 50 bull rods over three hours or something like that, coming away with five decent pictures is not an especially great use of time. So to sum it all up, it's not really the ability of your camera. It's because all cameras can do high ISO now. It's nailing the exposure. It's knowing if it's even a good idea to be shooting that high and then make your pictures more usable. It's knowing how to use a good noise reduction software. And I would definitely recommend Nick Defon. I really like not been privy to using any sort of like strobe in any of the sporting events I've I've been to. I've used it to like something like to make an effect on particular shots that I've shot in football. But um, obviously you can't use them during a match. It's just how you know football is like in most cases, most sporting events you can't use that there are some obviously like you know high school basketball. Is college also allowed? Uh, no, not not major colleges. But yeah, I've definitely used it for small college and high school because that's a perfect example of when it's too dark. It's just too dark, and they if they have the older they have the older style lights. It's not just how dark it is; it's also the color 
you'll just never be able to correct for how orange or green those pictures are going to look depending on what kind of lights they have. So you strobe to get more light and you strobe to overpower the colored light with just plain white light. So that's a good example of yeah. your camera could do 300,000 ISO. It's still going to look bad if the lighting is really bad. And I think that's the problem there that like, so what are you going to do if that you know, situation presents itself. Like it's too dark for you to, you know, shoot. So if it's like, you know, 12,800 or depending on your camera, like 6,400 to even 3,200. I mean, it really depends on what kind of like uh, camera that you're using. Higher end stuff right now. I mean, like my D4S, I can do 12,800 and it'll come out good enough that I can use it for pretty much anything. But like if you're using uh, older camera, if you're using a commercial camera, what are you going to do? Now, I think the, the solution here is to don't shoot action. So you need to then shoot quieter moments that doesn't require you to be shooting at a very high shutter speed. So maybe hundreds of a second, two hundredths of a second, when things are like not moving that quickly. But if you are desperate, 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 desperate to use high shutter speed, you have to experiment with your camera to see, and and particular sport, huh, to see what is the absolute, absolute slowest you can actually go. Um, I remember like years ago when I first started this, like I was using a D2H, no, it's a D2X, and yeah, and D2HS, I think. I had to use like ISO 800 to shoot a football match where you needed probably around 1600 minimum. And what I had to do was I need to slow the shutter speed all the way down to about 400 of a second in certain stadiums that were not well lit and shoot it that way. So you probably are also wondering how people in the back in the old days have shot sports when it's very, very dark. And if you're not allowed to, you know, use flash. Um, yeah, pretty much because they were during daylights. That's probably why they actually got all those shots. If that wasn't the case, you couldn't really actually get any of these shoots. One other way you can get around it is to get action when it's not moving that much. It's a really weird way of actually saying it because I've actually shot, for instance, like dance. And dance are very, they're very, very dark. You know, there's not much um, light involved over there as well. And I remember like there are moments that when people are dancing, they, they stop for like a millisecond. So you can actually go for like one movement to another. Things can actually go up, has to come down at that maximum height of whatever like their legs or their arms are raised. They stop. And in that moment you shoot, you can basically get things quite not moving and not blurred and that worked for me and that worked for football in that case i mean get ready to like having a lot of your shots being all blurry probably matt got one five shots out of 50 bull riders will probably be the same thing if i shoot an entire match you might get like i don't know five six shots that are good but the rest would not be good but that's the only, probably the only way around it. So you have to reassess the, the quality of the files you get with your camera as well as what your, your sports requires you to do. Like if you can get away with that, you just like taking quieter shots of the entire game. And that's, that's what you should be doing. And if you really need to take action stuff, get stuff at the really the peak of the height and peak of the action where it really just, really just stops for a little bit. You're not going to actually shoot someone who's throwing it, like really throwing it down for a dunk. But like maybe when the person dunks the ball and it's hanging and he's actually just pulled himself up maybe dunking so he's actually really like suspended in the air just for that long amount does that really like less than a second if you get it it won't be blurry but yeah prepare to actually get a lot of those shots blurry and just really test with your uh, shutter speed to find out where would be the, the, the limit 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 that you can actually shoot with 
I've, I've used like 200 of a second as well, you know, for a football. You can, especially like when people jump, they're two guys, classic two guys going up for a header thing. Like they're not propelling themselves. So they are basically only at the mercy of gravity at that point, which is going to be slower than propelling themselves with their feet. There are those moments where it doesn't have to be a non-action picture. It can just be an action picture with less motion in it because the people are moving as fast. So you do have to kind of experiment with what speed there is like obviously there are things that you can do at four hundredths that you can't do at two hundredths again eight hundredths you know you you want that minimum for stopping most action but the more you drop it down um the more careful you have to be or you just drop it down further and embrace the blur so you're gonna have to experiment and see how it goes and yeah this is the type of shit you probably will never learn at school so yes i think we deserve some money if that if this is something that, that helped you Yes, please go and, um, you know, put some money into our kitty so we can give you free shit. It all goes to you all the time. That ends Masterclass. If you're listening to this on iTunes, thank Apple and then rate us. The higher we are rated, the more popular we are. And one day we might be featured as the top sports photography podcast. And it's true. So please um, look us up on iTunes and give give us a rating. I think they'll be very great. Seriously, if, if you're not donating money, at least give us a couple minutes. Go rate us, leave a review or something like that. I mean, that is really the least that you can do. So please do that. Not only is you in a monthly themed competition, it is your chance to bask yourself in sports photography limelight. Listeners pit their photos against one another for a chance to enter the kingdom of BLFS. And of course, win a t-shirt that we've not really given for a while because your sisters are sh- Your sisters. Your pictures are shit. If you want to play along, your sister's not shit. Pause this podcast now. Paused? Good. Now, go to our Flickr group page. Go to Flickr.com and just sh- search for Big Lens Fast Shutter. You'll be able to actually find it. And click on this month's You Win thread. Will you win? Find out now. So at least we don't have to do a training ground, impromptu training ground session this time. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Matt Cohen, which one? Number three. Uh, number three, I have Mikhail's picture of a hockey player um, giving fist bumps to the fans. Um, I like the perspective of it. The angle is cool. Selective focus is kind of cool. The problem is that he's just not at the right part of the line given the hands so you can kind of see this is a time where a little bit in focus would have been better because i want to see more hands at the part where there's only two hands that are in focus and a little bit further down in the frame you can see that there's more hands but you can't really see that their hands it's just like a blob of skin tone color is this the only position that he could have been in yeah probably and given this lens is the only composition that made sense probably would this picture have been better with waiting until the player got to where there are more hands and shooting with a longer lens? I'm going to say yes. And that's not his fault. He saw something that was happening and he shot with the lens that he had on. That doesn't necessarily make it a good picture. And it doesn't mean that it was the best picture that could have been made given this situation. So like I said, just from looking at this, I'm guessing that it would have been better letting this guy go further down the line and then shooting it with the longer lens or even maybe shooting it with this lens and cropping it down a little bit. It's just, it doesn't have the impact. It should have more hands in focus. I'm kind of 
going back and forth between third and second for this and the one that I'm going to talk about. The problem with this is that the moment that the fist bump is going on, there has to be something else that's happening for this to work for me. Like, for instance, if there's all these hands out there trying to get a fist bump, there's like one person handing out pen or one person handing out a flower or something like there has to be some impact to the whole the scene and to me i don't see any of it over here i think the other thing that i thought about is whether or not he could have used a higher f-stop to actually have a lot more things a lot more hands in focus and one popping out other than just like you know ones that that we've seen over here it's a great idea i think it's it could have been better executed and i think you need a better luck for something more interesting to happen but there are a lot of things you could have actually done with this particular shot to make it work which could have actually gotten him a higher place ranking in this month's UN, but I don't think he really did enough to be worth the, whatever, the, the higher ranking thing. Me, I chose Tom Beery's shot, which is perfect in execution because he got the light that he that fell on the, the player's head, and that's, you know, gives him the, the rim light thing, and it was really, really nice. But he's not doing anything. So what does it come down to? You can come down to the facts and say, oh, look, it's beautiful, like how the light's hitting his hair and it's really nice and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's like second rate stuff. Like you have to kind of like go for, you know, a big, the big kill. Like you have to, you have to go for the home run. And this is just like, you know, a single, like a blooper single up the, the right side. You know, it's just like, you can't do this. And this is not, in my definition, this is not a you win type of caliber of photo it should be on training ground and he should know this tom that well all right let's not let's not get all the way really because i just kind of think that if i, he I this agree to do I, this, okay right i agree 100 percent. he needs to be doing something and it doesn't even need to be very much he could just have his hands up in the air anything, like oh we just anything. missed a shot or complaining to a ref or have his hand on his face or something like that really anything like this picture is that close to being a picture yes it's not a picture because he's not doing anything and you know all it is is the sun but the thing about it is that i'm guessing that it only looked like this for 30 seconds this kind of light doesn't last like this is the light that is just peeking over the rim of the field stadium whatever it is you can't always get somebody to do what you want them to do I'm going to say that he he was happy that he got something like this because he's been definitely trying to do things differently. He's been trying to make light look interesting. He's been trying to use it to his advantage. I don't think it's a situation where it's obvious that it's not a good picture to somebody who's not highly trained. He's following all of our directions and he just missed one little piece. And unfortunately, that little piece is probably the most important piece is that your subject needs to be doing something. Yeah. So I don't want to come down on him with both feet. I don't think it's a situation where it was, oh, this needs to go right to training ground because he did 95% of his picture is there. He just needed a better moment. And the thing is that if you're looking for this kind of thing and you're you see that the sun is going down and you see that one of the grandstands is completely in the shadow and that there might be a chance for some nice rim light, then you go for it again. You hope that the players, maybe he has longer hair and he's running or like I said, he's making some kind of gesture or he's talking to somebody else or something more than just standing him standing there. So 
I don't want to get too carried away with it. It's everything was there except for something that was completely out of his control, which is the player doing something. And this is a very, very good example of, you know, the difference between great and an average photo is that slim. Really, yeah, really this, is. I mean, this is like he had his hands up or if he was like tenting his fingers over his head or if he was running his fingers through his hair or something like that. Or if it's a difference between a throwaway and a contest winner is what we're talking about here. Like this picture, shittier pictures than this have won contests. Yes. That's how close things can come. And I think that people don't understand that. I think that they think once they cross that 70% threshold, it's like, oh, this is a great picture. Well, no, if one tiny little thing is off, it doesn't matter if it's 70% or 90%, it's not a picture. No. And that's where we are right now. But, you know, it's it should be encouraging to Tom. He's made great strides in a very, very short amount of time. But before you start putting your pictures up for things like this, even, a, you know, even a, a you win, you still need to ask yourself, is this enough? And it's definitely not enough. I'm not sure that that's especially obvious, but it should be now. And that's it. Yeah, but personally speaking, I really like this one. So I just want to have to talk about this. There's a shot by Jay Rash, and he had all these like golfers with different color polos doing their thing. For some reason, this doesn't work. And I've been really thinking why that is the case. You want to know why? It doesn't work because of the texture on the rocks. Mm. If, they, if they were... If they were um, on a golf course, that would actually could, been better. Right? Just like nothing there, right? Just like a yeah. yeah the horizon. the the texture of the texture of the rocks destroys this picture because uh, yeah, the colors against the backdrop. Yeah, but they get swallowed up because it's not uni- The background isn't uniform. So if it was a blue sky, those colors would pop out. If it was just a red rock, you know, just like a very smooth hill, even if it was grass, all of those things. But then the other thing that you need to control for here is the line between the grass and whatever is behind it. So whether that's blue sky or a hill or something like that, at the angle that you've chosen to shoot, it's another way that these things aren't going to pop out. If you had shot this from an angle where their feet were equal to whatever was in the background instead of the grass, then it would have popped out more. But the problem is that not only do you have the texture of the rocks, but you have the line in between the rock where the rock meets the grass. It's static right through the middle of the picture. Mm. So those things can't pop off the background because of the texture and because of where you put the line of where the rock meets the grass. So it was a good idea, but it was just poorly executed. Not that you could have done a whole lot here because that texture was going to be there one way or the other, but find a place where it's a really flat green and the green just kind of goes to the vanishing point and then there's the blue sky and see if you can find something there because that's where the picture is. It's really just a mystery to me. Like I was kind of thinking about it. It's like, well, I really like everything about it, but there's just something just like not right about this, this whole picture. I'm like, I don't know. Like I wish you would do it again and show us like another one. Well, that ends um, another round of you win where no one won. It's really unfortunate because um, that's just kind of how it goes. I don't know like what's wrong with it this this particular season because I think the seasons past we actually had a lot of quality stuff. I did honestly think it's a matter of like not having the theme thing and the fact that I'm not really inviting a lot of people to 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 you win. 
And I think I probably should start inviting more people to you in because it's really the it's poor the quality. I think you guys are a bit it feels like, you know, a bit on scholarship or something that you don't really feel like you're threatened by anybody like all these things. Like and you really should be because it's been abysmal so far this season. We can't let that happen for the entire thing because it's just not good. Let's see if other people can kind of shake it up and you'll feel a bit threatened and uh, your manhood, you know, be threatened and everything as well. That will be for you win. If you came here looking for info on Training Ground, you are out of luck. Kind of, but not quite. We have moved it to YouTube and therefore you'll get to see your rewards and punishments, mostly punishments, on video. Go to youtube.com and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter four separate words. Think we only say bad things about sports photography? You say we got no soul? Hell no. We're going to prove you wrong with... Close contact! Time to hold your fellow sports photographer's hands as we tell you why a specific sports photograph makes us quiver with joy. This is courtesy to Michael Mozart who sent in the link. It is cyclingtips.com.au if you have a chance, go to our Facebook uh, page, Big Lens Fast Shutter, and you'll see that we posted a link to cyclingtips.com.au on something very specific, and it's about this guy called Christophe Ramon. My wife's favorite name, by the way. Ramon. My, Matt pointed this out, which is very, very true. It's very rare that a photographer goes out and shoots another photographer and really shows the way he works. And it's really well done, the article itself. And uh, Christopher Ramon, I'm not saying every, all the stuff he's actually done is fantastic, but some of the stuff is really, really good. We would like to talk about two of his photos that he's shot. So Matt Cohen, go ahead. Well, I think before we get to that, I think it's important. You're going to have to put this this link in the blog post for the podcast as well, because I really want people to go and see this. So the, the following around part is really – these pictures are great. There's really no two ways about it. This guy is doing great work. Cycling photography has – I don't know. I remember when I first started cycling was the first sports sporting event that I ever shot. I back then I looked at a, a lot of sports photographer or a lot of cycling photographers work. And I remember thinking how good it was. And then the more I saw of it, what do you have close ups and landscapes? And the landscapes always have sunflowers or old castles or something like that in them. And there's really not a lot of good work being done in cycling photography. I hate to say that because there are some good people who are doing it. I think they've just maybe been doing it too long or something. It's not interesting to me. So seeing this was really refreshing. This guy is doing really good work. I, unconditionally just great work. Uh, the thing about this post is that they sent somebody out to shoot him because if you looked, you know, we're we're looking at the pairs of the pictures, like him in position with his cameras shooting and then the result. And these pictures are taken at more or less the same time. Look at the difference between what just pushing a button on a camera does. Just, you know, all you're worried about is did I get it in focus and did I get it properly exposed or something like that versus the work of somebody who's truly a master at what he's doing. The really good example, I think, is the one that, that Ryu has chosen. And so you can get into that and we'll talk about why it's so important. Um, you can see towards the bottom of this particular post that there's a picture of him 
on the ground one well, on the ground he's actually kneeled you know on the ground he's actually shooting with his uh, camera pointing up towards the uh, cyclist the result is a shot where the wheel the back wheel is uh, in focus and then you can see the gallery in the forefront i honestly thought which is really really ingenious about the whole thing i, I had a and i really love the photo and i thought about like wow like why is this so much more different than the other ones yeah of, of course the fact that the, the focus actually is in the back wheel but no the fact that the guy is climbing so he chose a particular spot where the guy is going to be really putting his uh, his uh, balls into you know climbing the the hill if this is a downhill if this is actually a flat surface this wouldn't actually have happened because the guys would actually be sitting on the uh, the seat you would actually have like this really dynamic feel to the entire photo but this one does and he knew that and that will come from experience and knowing like the 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 type of body language that you would have in particular stages of um a cycling race what he realized that like no the empty road in the foreground is not going to work we need to actually have it so there's a lot of people in the foreground where they're all blurry and but you can actually tell that people are watching and all these things that are really put together very 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 nicely to create a very dramatic photo that you really don't see and there's a lot of um you know people who uh, do shoot uh, cycling on our group uh, on our Flickr group and people really should be watching this and if you read the article very very closely like he does for instance like his this uh his lenses are he probably only 50 millimeter and 24 millimeter that's all he does and he said he wants to get close to the action it's exactly the point it the the closer you are to the action better the photos usually are because it just is you get that really dynamic feel you cannot get with a telephoto lens. Low angle, we talk about the whole NFL films and things like that. Low angle, low angle, low angle. And low angle is just really, really cool. This is a perfect picture. I mean, it's from the trees to the people watching. This guy is also a specialist in shooting uh, crowded venues. <laughs> Which is, is, yeah, that's it's very important. Yeah. And the, the way that the light is bouncing off of the pavement, the flare of it, you know, like most people uh, got to get rid of the lens flare. No, you don't have to. Sometimes it can be beautiful. And he's shooting into light, by the way, as well. Yeah, mm. that's what I'm saying. The the flare of it, the shadow on the pavement and then the, the back wheel being where the focus is. This is just it's so good. And so I want, you know, again, I want people to look at the, the picture of him doing this. I, I don't care what he's doing. Just look at the quality of the picture of him shooting and then look at the quality of his picture. This is the difference between your cycling photos and his cycling photos. Yours look like this and his look like the second one. Make yours look more like the second one. All this is is like, oh, this is a picture of a person on a bike and a picture of uh, a guy shooting the person on the bike. There's no art to this. There's nothing. It's just frozen action and properly exposed and, you know, whole bodies in the frame or whatever. Look at his picture. Look at all the things that are going on here. Look at all the things that he had to control for, the risk he took of not getting anything at all, and then the result of it being a great picture. Move towards this, you know, figure out how to make your pictures look less two-dimensional like the top one and more three-dimensional like the bottom one. Please, thank you. The other one, and he has many, many good pictures um, at his photo shelter page. He's He's been working on shooting through the wheels and then getting something framed in the wheel. This comes from shooting a subject a lot. Ryu and I were just talking before we started that he said it would take him about five minutes to figure this out. I would say that it would take me about three days to figure it out, trying to frame something in 
a wheel because it's not obvious. It's very difficult. You could see it. And then for me, like, I guess I would probably see it way earlier than three days. But what I would be thinking was, oh man, think about all the pictures that I would be missing while I was trying to get somebody coming close to me and then somebody coming behind him at exactly the right angle that I could fit him into the wheel. Um, I would say, yeah, I'll do that at the end because I want to make sure that I have all my pictures before then. Um, I guess one of the things that's good about specializing in one thing that you can experiment when he shoots football that I can experiment when I shoot rodeo and that this guy can experiment when he shoots cycling because there's always going to be another race not too far in the future. But that doesn't free you from taking the risks even if you're only shooting once in a while because you cannot get pictures that look like this not taking risks that you're going to come away with nothing. So specifically about pictures like this, it's not the risk that makes it a good picture, but the risk is necessary to get the picture. And what I mean by that is the again, the angle and the distance of the cyclist in the back. And that doesn't guarantee that it's going to be a good picture. But the way he has the riders basically silhouetted and shooting into the sun, you know, this looks like a magnifying glass almost. It looks like it's screaming at you. This is where you should be looking in this picture. And it's just, you know, he has many examples of it. This is just the one that I picked. But it's, you know, again, it's like a a photography concept of framing your subject. You know, either it's in between some trees or through the the uneven bars of gymnastics or in a goal in soccer or something like that he's figured out well no i don't want to use the fence to frame i'm going to use something that's integral to cycling the wheel to frame his subject and he's done that very well he's done it very well in other pictures as well but the thing is that he wasn't satisfied with okay all of them are going to be the the front wheel and a guy behind him. There's other ones where it's the back wheel and it's a rider coming more directly at the bike that's in the foreground. Like he's expanded on the concept of it. And again, that's important too, because he could have just stopped and said, I'll never get another picture like this. That's, you know, it's better than this. That's, I won't be able to get one that's different enough from this to put the, put it side by side on my portfolio. But he just said, you know what, I, I'm shooting this stuff all the time. So I'm going to look for situations that I can take advantage of. And he's definitely done that because just in looking through his pictures, we've seen four or five of these that all look different and that all took advantage of this concept. But were built differently. Definitely, we'll have the link to the blog post that shows you um, the behind the scenes pictures and it also explains his concepts of shooting and we'll also have a link to his photo shelter and then these specific pictures because this is really important stuff. Like it's it's not enough that this guy is just really good, but he's also taking the time like we try to every month to explain the, the thought process behind it. So I really want people's pictures to start looking more like this stuff because it's a really good side-by-side kind of blueprint of how he's doing it. And it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you paid attention to it and tried to do it. And I think the, the you know, because we do talk about equipment a lot as well in this uh, podcast, people have questions about it. I'm just going to only use it. He basically said he only shoots 15 millimeter and 24 millimeter. That's it. That's all he does. Yeah, he's probably using, I don't know, what, $10,000 US worth of gear. Uh, for me, just whatever shoot I'm going to, I have more than $30,000 worth of gear. So, you know, yeah, 10000 isn't cheap, but the alternative is much, much more expensive. This is what you can do. And, and the thing is, you don't need 10000 to do this. You really just need a couple wide angle lenses and a short prime or something like that. And the bodies that he's using aren't doing anything special for him. So 
you know, yeah. you could use a consumer grade body. You could probably do this for less than five grand if you wanted to. So yeah, move your move your ass, get closer, and this is what you can get. I mean, obviously you have to like be mindful of what's going on around you, like not get killed or maimed or anything. But take a bit of risk and be a bit creative. Think kind of outside the box, and this is what you can do. Like really, Matt said, like this is something you guys really should be doing. Like I should be listening. You should guys you should be reading all these things and seeing like how other professionals work. And it's a very, very good blog post and good, really great pictures. With that, we end the 47th episode of Big Lens Fast Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners, and obviously Rob with two Bs, our wonderful, beautiful, fantastic, extraordinary producer. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, please go to our Facebook page and like us. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at biglensfastshutter.com so that you will not miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please go to iTunes and rate us. And obviously, if you have that dollar in your pocket, please donate it to us at BigLensFastShutter.com. The PayPal link is right there for you. To recap, Facebook, blog, iTunes, and donate, rinse, repeat, love us more. See you next month.